0: This is the Providers Properties and Performance Podcast, the podcast that brings together leaders in healthcare and investment real estate to consider the possibilities in future at the intersection of practicing medicine and healthcare real estate investment returns. The podcast episode you will hear today is my interview on the Wealth Planning for the Modern Physician podcast, hosted by David Mandel, a partner at the OGM Group. David interviews me about healthcare real estate assets in general, and specifically for physician owners interested in properties for their practice as a financial planning and wealth management
1: Hello, this is David Mandel, host of the podcast. Uh, Very excited about today's discussion and about our guest today. We're going to be talking about a topic that is close to the heart of many docs. I know this, which is real estate. So let's uh, talk. uh, Let me introduce uh, Tricia Talbot. We'll have her bio that I'm going to read, plus a link to her LinkedIn, which I'll refer to in the show notes so you can read all about her. And let me give you her brief bio. Bring her on. So, Tricia Talbot advises physician owners and investors with opportunities in the healthcare real estate asset class. Her track record in investment sales, landlord representation, corporate representation, and tenant representation offers clients trusted experience with comprehensive strategies with pricing, market fluctuations, and problem-solving solutions that result in successfully closed transactions. Aligning the real estate investment requirements of property owners and physician investors together with the corporate goals of the healthcare companies that occupy medical facilities, has made Trisha a leader in the healthcare real estate brokerage community. Her performance and production achievements are recognized annually. Trisha lives in Scottsdale, Arizona with her wonderfully patient husband and two gracious children that support her drive to make an impact helping clinicians share their gift to heal others. So with that, Trisha, welcome to the program. Thank you. Excellent. So I read, you know, your bio, which is, you know, kind of about you and what you do, but I also want to link uh, to your LinkedIn profile, which gets into some of your degrees and experience. And we'll talk about that. But one of the things, or two of the things I saw on that profile that were interesting to me, because I hadn't heard of them before. And I think the docs will be interested are two certifications that you have. One is called a master's of corporate real estate, MCR, and the other is a Certified Commercial Investment Member (CCIM). Can you give us a little background on both of these, and you know what they mean?
0: Absolutely. So, CCIM, a Certified Commercial Investment Member, it's an organization that um, you go through four different classes, and you have to you take, and then a capstone where you focus just on positioning properties as income generating real estate and how to value them um and and how to underwrite them it starts with um you know just some some general discount cash flow analysis and then it goes through user decision analysis which is you know you can get three properties but you don't necessarily want to take the cheapest one because it could be in a really poor area um and then and then it gets into um underwriting in a lot more detail so people that have this designation like myself, you know they they have specifically gone through this training and have a background in how to make sure that a property is properly properly underwritten and um, helps you know on the sell side properly underwritten and on the buy side how to analyze it for um, for a client and then also how to help them decide on, decide financially on a piece of real estate along with the quali- qualitative uh, aspects of the property as well in order to either purchase or sell um, a property that makes sense for them.
1: So it's a lot of um, understanding cash flows, kind of modeling and and getting mm-hmm. a sense of sort of the financial model of a property. Would that be exactly accurate? exactly
0: right. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And then what about the masters of corporate real estate? Well, how's that different? Or what do you learn? Uh, what do you learn? So going
0: through? That one is different. That one is, um, so that's taking a look at real estate as a function of a company. So for instance, I had a client that had, um, you know, 150 plus sites across the country. And, you know, that is, that has to be, you know, aggregated in order for somebody somewhere to be able to make some decisions um, without, you know, it being incredibly painful. So, uh, so this is taking, you know, real estate as a function of a company, again, financially modeling it, but being able to also have key indicators saying, hey, what is your annual run rate, which is what is the cost of all your leases and the operating expenses to, to, um, to you as, you know, as the person using the real estate. If you own real estate, you know, what is the value of your assets under management? And obviously that drills down into to what those mean. But as a company, um, you know, we as real estate professionals, um, on my side, you know, we we it's easy for us to understand how real estate works. But if you are selling widgets, your real estate is a function of you being able to sell more widgets. It's not necessarily a function of the real estate per se. I mean, obviously nobody wants to overpay, but you know, sometimes for companies, you need to be in a specific location and that location when you run the numbers of what it, the, it will generate for your business, it makes sense for you to pay the rent that's in that location. Is it the cheapest rent in town? No. Um, do you want somebody like myself to represent you in that negotiation? Because there's a lot of other things that can be negotiated. Absolutely. But it, it takes the real, it takes the financial analysis of the real estate and then applies, you know, the, the company's, you know, business on top of it. And then real estate, you deploy the real estate as a function of what the company objectives are.
1: Interesting. So it sounds like that the CCIM is more kind of looking at a property or a group of properties in Isolation and mm-hmm. the master's of corporate real estate is more how it fits in with the rest of the business. Um, exactly. Depending on what kind of business is. And here we're talking about healthcare, right? So right. we'll get to that in a couple of minutes. Mm-hmm. So you've been in the real estate in the industry for a long time. Tell us a little bit about your career path. How'd you, where'd you go first and and how'd you kind of move uh, through that uh, industry?
0: Yeah, I started as a an in house leasing department for a A healthcare developer. They just did. They just developed um, medical office properties and healthcare properties. So I started there, and then uh, moved into third-party brokerage, and did a ton of landlord leasing. Um, And then from there, started doing investments. And from there, I've just continued to do to more to do more on the investment side. I actually don't have any more landlord um, listings, but I like all of the experience because I can I can really understand when I'm you know putting a, a a property on the market, how to underwrite it, read the leases, see some of the clauses that are in there um, and understand, you know, that you can't just throw a lease rate out there. It has to actually fit within, you know, the market dynamics and the other terms of the market. Um, fundamentals, which I would say, you know, are tenant improvements. Um, if there's any renewals, uh, annual increases, and how all of that fits together. And, and a lot of real estate professionals sometimes, you know, can do this. But sometimes you have people that just grew up in the investment side and people that just grew up doing landlord leasing. And I think the benefit I have is a really um, extensive experience in both leasing and sales. So I, I really can, um, I think, take a very deep dive look into these properties and help organize them if they are not organized and you know be able to get some standard lease terms and conditions and and forms in place um, together you know with some attorneys and you know really put a prop clean up a property and put it on the market if you put a property that's not cleaned up on the market to investors investors This is where people don't get the value of of the property for themselves because investors will, they'll take a property, um, in whatever form and clean it up, but they're not going to pay you for that. They're going to discount it to you. Then they're going to, because, you know, they typically have to hire people and and spend money. So they will get the economic benefit of them cleaning it up rather than, uh, you know, somebody else cleaning up the property. And that's what I find a lot with, um, some of these physician owned properties is sometimes they have a lease on it for themselves. Sometimes they haven't had a lease, you know, they're just like, well, I just pay the mortgage and and that's fine. Um, and then, you know, they, so, so they don't, they don't either, they don't have a lease or they have tenants in place and the tenants aren't even paying market lease rates. So that's problematic, but if, you know, and sometimes what happens is when I get, see some physician owners come to me is they're just, they're, they're tired of managing the property. They're tired of dealing with um, leasing the property because in some cases and not all, there'll be like a group of physicians that get together and then they decide that they want to own instead of lease, but then they don't really discuss um, who's going to be the one to manage it. And then they someone raises their hand because they don't feel that they want to pay management fees or anything like that. And then that person ends up you know, as a part-time job you know, managing the building because it is. I mean, it's it's it takes time and yeah. um, you know and expertise into in doing that. So then someone just gets tired and is like, you know what, let's just let's cash out of this. But it hasn't been professionally managed or leased, and so everything's in different places, and some things have been um, taken care of and some haven't. So I can come in and sort of grab all of that mm-hmm. and organize it for them to hopefully be able to get their property to the value that they are expecting.
1: And it, how did you end up launching Doc Properties? You, you worked for really, you worked for so like a landlord. You did some investing, investing on your own. What caused you, or what motivated you, or what did you see in the marketplace that uh, uh, got you to launch Doc Properties? And, and tell us what you do for physicians. Uh, in that.
0: Sure. So I was at a national firm, and when you're at a national firm, uh, medical office or healthcare is underneath office. So the the food groups of commercial real estate are office, industrial, retail, multifamily, and land. So um, healthcare gets sort of pushed under office, and it's not its own, um, and that. Sometimes would be, I would hit a lot of walls because they would be like, well, we have all these resources for the office and you sort of have to figure out how to get those resources to help you. But it's different than office. I can't just go and say, hey, I need, you know, the market report, the quarterly market report for office properties. I need you to help me, um, you know, do some research on this market for medical. You have to You have to take office and you have to parse out all of the non-medical properties because there are not every property will qualify as office. You have to, in Arizona, a lot of the municipalities are five per thousand parking. And I think in a lot, I I see this across the board. I do deals in other markets um, with a a network of brokers that I have, but, uh, you know, the parking is, is pretty much consistent. It's five per thousand plus or minus. Some are grandfathered in, some are going even higher, up to six per thousand. Um, so first of all, the, the parking has to accommodate medical. It has to be high enough. Not every building has that. Um, so you're then,
1: saying just to make sure, cause this is kind of great. Yeah. You're yeah. saying that you, if I was looking to buy, you know, if I'm a physician and I was looking at offices, there may be some offices that are, uh, they just don't qualify for medical cause they don't have enough parking.
0: Is that, you know, right. They, That's they exactly right. They so, wouldn't
1: work essentially.
0: Yeah, and so uh, you know, like for there's this, people uh,
1: coming all day long to a medical office versus right. a financial office, I and mean, we have some people come by, but really it's just not that many people. So, right, it, it, that is that kind of a difference when someone's looking. They have to really understand they need something that would fit a medical environment, which is a lot more traffic. Is that what
0: you're yeah? Thinking? So you know, like right now, I don't. You know, there might be some office landlords owners. Um, thinking, hey, you know, since my office building is vacant, I might want to try and make it medical. Well,
1: I see
0: some mm-hmm. might be able to do it and but the others may not. Some will be able to do a portion. But then as soon as they lease up enough in medical to absorb, you know, the maximum amount of parking to allow for the rest of it to be office, you know, they have to stop leasing to medical. Plus, typically, when they bought it, they have not done the, They have not bought it with the underwriting in mind to do medical tenant improvements. So, you know, building out a, an office for financial services or an attorney, um, you know, is a lot less than building out an office for a medical provider that requires typically sinks and exam rooms, probably more than one bathroom because they probably have separate staff and, um, and then there's also requirements by the city for a certain amount of square footage. You have to have more bathrooms. But, you know, if you're an OB- OBGYN, you're going to definitely want to have like a staff, you know, a staff bathroom and then a patient bathroom because, you know, every time somebody has to come in for um, an OB appointment, they have to, you know, leave a urine sample. So just things like that. And, the, you know, there's there's functionally different uses for, you know, an office user versus a medical user. And the medical user, you know, requires more TIs. Now with that, the owner gets longer lease terms. So, you know, you could probably go in and as a general office user, maybe negotiate a three-year lease. That typically doesn't happen in medical because the, they need tenant improvements. And so in order for the landlord to offer those tenant improvements, it needs a longer lease term to amortize those costs. Got it. Makes sense. And so, you know, so there's, there's different ways, there's different financial strategies when you're purchasing a building to make it medical and different ones if you're going to do general office.
1: It makes total sense. to And it sounds like in big picture, I mean, again, high level, medical is more involved. It's more involved <laughs> yeah. in terms of like right. what you need inside. The parking, I wouldn't even have thought of, but it makes sense. And so because of that, if I'm on the owner side, I need longer lease terms because I need to, like you said, amortize those costs over time. And if I'm on the physician buyer side, I got to really understand that you know, um, hey, I may want to buy this building so I can have my office in there. My idea is to have all these other medical offices in there, but I may not be able to do that because based on the office, I may be able to get one or two medical in there and the rest can't right. be because I'll bump up against these requirements. So um, yeah, that's interesting. I wouldn't have thought about that. So well, and there's want- also some patient
0: dignity. Oh, sorry. Uh, so there's some patient dignity too. like really like the Patients, like you don't want to have an oncology center or a dialysis center or something where patients are really, really sick coming through a general office lobby where there's attorneys and lawyers, like it just doesn't make sense. I see. Yeah, there's that sort of
1: marketing kind of uh, or or image uh, element to it. I mean, different for maybe a plastic surgeon or a derm or something like that. Yeah.
0: I think it's more for the patients. Like you don't want to have to have like sick patients, like they're already feeling horrible and they're obviously not looking their best and they don't necessarily want to be, you know, you know, driven through this main lobby where people are, you know, coming and doing you know, white collar job stuff. They're all dressed right. in their suits and then you're sick and, you know, being wheeled through a Yeah, a it's, lobby, a, it's you know, a good just... point. Yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> no, it's a, listen, it's an area I don't really think about. Fortunately, I'm pretty healthy so far. So I haven't had to, you know, really uh, deal with that. But I'm thinking of uh, even orthopedics, you know, crutches, all these people in crutches. And then there's a, you know, medical office. <laughs> like I know where we have our office, you know, offices, none of them, I think, have medical Right. I mean, I'm in an yeah. office tower down here in South Florida. We're in an office building in, in Ohio and in Phoenix. And I think there, I don't think there's medical on any of that. So it is, you know, I never really thought of it that way, but I guess that's true. So I want to explore some questions uh, to keep us on track time-wise. Sure. The kind of questions that physicians would ask you. Right. So, first of all, like what is a healthcare real estate advisor? And if I was a doc, why would I use one? What's what why why would I consider that?
0: So one, um, a healthcare real estate advisor, they, they really do do or should know the medical office market. So if you're saying, Hey, I want to open up, um, you know, a site here or in these three markets, um, they either know people to interview that can help you if it's not in, in your local market. Um, or they, they kind of know the inventory. Now you can go on the databases and click through a bunch of stuff, but, um, you know, the landlords that you, you know, based on what you're going to need or the your client's investment in tenant improvements are going to require, you know, I think you can save your client a lot of time of spinning wheels and negotiating deals and in, in properties where, you know, the, the, the landlord has had it for so long that. it's a lot of second generation space. They're not interested in in redoing a ton of tenant improvements. They just want to sort of backfill, do carpet paint and maybe, you know, something here or there. And, but they're not interested in doing much else. And then if you're, you know, a tenant that's like, if your client's like, hey, I'll do a 10 year lease, but I really want the landlord to fund a majority of the tenant improvements. Like, you know, the landlords that are willing to do that. Um, Because otherwise you spend a lot of time chasing and negotiating deals that are, you know, that, that they don't make sense for your client based on what their needs are going to be. Um, and you know, where cap rates are for medical buildings, you know, where lease, lease rates are, lease terms where different um, places in the lease that the a client should negotiate based on their goals. Um, you know, just for example, uh, death and disability is a big one in healthcare because, you know, if the doctor is disabled or, um, is deceased, then sometimes, you know, they are the practice. Um, so they need to be able to, you know, not have their estate have to deal with a lease if if that's the case. So that's just one clause, but there's, there's several, um, That are sensitive to healthcare providers and that they should be aware of, depending on if they're a group or a sole practitioner.
1: So, a follow up question on that. So, let's say I got a dog listening to this right now, and they're, hey, you know, Trisha sounds like she, you know, so she's talking about, she's got experience in this. Um, She's in Scottsdale, I'm in Philadelphia, Philadelphia, whatever city it is, let's just call it Atlanta. Is that something that you? With your kind of knowledge, would do you have like a network? Like I have somebody in Atlanta who would know the local, and I can give the national expertise. Or how would you? Or would that be something you would refer out? Or is that somebody that you could work with? How does that work in terms of like a national uh, audience that's listening to this? Let's so say.
0: Sure. Yeah, I have an extensive broker network that I've developed over the years, and I have a lot of um, a lot of states covered. Um, and for example, it it depends, like if it was, if someone was buying something in Atlanta or wanting to lease something in Atlanta, I would just refer it to somebody that I know there. Yeah. If they want to sell something that's in Atlanta, um, I would still go through a local broker, but I would do a lot of the, um, upfront work. And then, you know, with the, with the local broker, we would put it on the market. Um, but so, so it depends, but okay. I do have a pretty extensive broker network. And if I can't help them at all, I'll, um, you know, and it really just requires the person in the local, um, municipality. I'll just, I'll, it'll probably, you know, I'd make the introduction and then get out of the way.
1: Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. That makes sense. Uh, so, you know, doing this for a long time, you've got networks around the country, which makes mm-hmm. sense. Um, uh, similar to like OJM and, you know, state planning attorneys, we know a lot of, Good ones. We know some firms that can mm-hmm. cover nationally. Um, uh, a lot of states uh, where they're licensed and have done work. So, um, you know, we can cover most most places uh, if a client needs it. Um, if I'm a doc, how, you know, I've got, let's say, a, a building already where my practice is, or I've got an, a surgery center where my practice, that, you know, has real estate. How, you know, if I was, whether I'm thinking about selling it or just wanted to understand the value, maybe to refinance or what have you, how would I go about that? Is that something that you typically help with? And oh, what's a process there?
0: Yeah, so uh, so definitely on the sell side. Um, I mean, valuating for refinance that would just be kind of a consulting gig. Um, mm-hmm. You know, doing kind of a market analysis for them, and then right. they would take it to some lenders. It's called like a broker opinion of value. Okay. Um, but the selling, selling is is something that I can do. I'm actually doing a pretty big portfolio right now. And it's in a variety of different markets. And so, um, you know, along with my broker network, I've been able to get that uh, teed up and and off the ground, so.
1: Got it. Okay. And then the process, you know, you were talking a little bit about purchasing or a lease. Um, It sounds like, I mean, to me, it's a big enough decision. And I've been at conferences, especially like aesthetic conferences, where they talk about build out and actually figuring out like architectural plans and all this you know it's like which do you do first? Do you figure out what you need from an architect point of view? And and then do you go to somebody like you to say, okay, now I want to find this somewhere? Or do they do they work with someone like you first to say, okay, financially what I should be doing and then build around that with a budget, you know, because some people may want to build the Taj Mahal and it doesn't really make sense. Right. So how, how do you see that working out often um in your experience?
0: So like, again, what's the, I best, go, the right best, yeah, best step first. I, I go, I go back to, you know, first of all, you know, a company deciding what is their budget for a new yeah. site. Do they want like what is what do they want their lease expense to be? And is that, you know, that includes um rate plus the operating expenses. And then um cause different business lines or whatever they're trying to accomplish, like they might have different revenue streams. So what the revenue stream that's going to be in that site, really figuring out what your budget can be on your, you know, for overhead for your office space. And then from there, kind of figuring out if, you know, if they, if it's their first office, I feel like the first office is really hard because they don't necessarily know what they need. Um, but for example, if, if, um, So I have a client that's a a women's center and, you know, they sort of, they have an idea of what they're looking at and then they're doing now their own internal analysis. But like, if you're an orthopedic or family practice or, or something like that, and you, you know, it's like how many exam rooms I I can ask the questions of how many exam rooms are you looking for? Um, how many bathrooms do you want in there, you know? for patients and then for staff, how many people do you want your waiting room to hold? How many people do you want in your front office? Do you want to have a break room? Do you want to have private physician offices? And then, you know, whatever, like if they need a lab or something else. So I can sort of sketch out that. And based on my experience, have a little bit of an idea of how much space they're going to need, um, you know, within a target range. And then, you know, with their budget, go and, you know, be able to find, find buildings that are that size or, and, and when they start to buy a building, you know, do they want it just for that size? Do they want to be able to have expansion abilities? Do they want to lease out some space? You know, so those, those questions come in. So I can help them in that regard. If they don't have architects, I can recommend some, but if they do have a a relationship with an architect, um, you know, I try to get plans to send over to the architect to be able to do um, some, some, you know, conceptual plans for their clients. So, so I guess the answer to your question is it depends, but you can have some things running somewhat parallel. I can be looking for buildings, find some, get the plan, send it over to the architect, have them do some sketches, see if it's going to work for them physically and then, you know, start, um, getting into a short list of properties because I'm sure you know there's probably a few properties that something can work in. And then from there, you know I can just try to negotiate if they like all the properties the same and they all will functionally fit, then I can just negotiate on terms and try to get them the best deal. Um, it is nice so with, with general contractors as well, you know it kind of depends on the size of the project. but um, you know somebody like me I have I can refer some or if they have a relationship with them you know, once they do get that conceptual plan from the architect, they could have their uh, general contractor do kind of what's called budget numbers just to give them a sort of an idea of what the numbers would be. Because I'm sure they have, uh, you know, their own models that they can say, oh, you know, this, this, and this, tweak a few things. Here's a, here's, you know, an estimated amount of what it would cost. So some of these things can all sort of be running parallel. And when I'm, you know, when it's, when I'm working with uh, a client's team like that, you know, try to make it as seamless as possible.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, yeah, And sometimes you have to run these things in parallel. So a couple of related questions were sort of coming to the end of the time, but I want to get these two together. So just to say I'm thinking about, and I'm sure a lot of docs have thought about this, maybe in the last year or so, as real estate values have gone up a lot. I don't know so much in the medical office space. Certainly all we all want know about homes. How would I position a medical office for its highest valuation a and B, when would I when should I consider selling? I mean, a lot of docs, if they're solo practice, would be like, okay, when I'm about to retire. But in a group practice, you know, would they ever sell? I mean, you know, why would they? The practice is going to continue. They need to be somewhere. So if you can talk about positioning for valuation and then when sure. you would even think about selling.
0: So positioning, um, so a lot with income real estate, it, it has a lot to do with the the tenants inside. So if they're the only tenant, I would say they need to get a lease, a market lease in place. Um, mm-hmm. If they have other tenants, um, you know, you have to look and see what, what is going on there. Um, if they don't have market leases, then you can, you know, try to work, work through them if they're expiring um, and, you know, renew them. But it's depending on where, this is the problem if they've, if they've been negotiating below market rents, and then they want to all of a sudden. Do market rents the what most likely happen is they'll have to clean out the tenants that are in there because jumping a tenant up too much, right. you know, just everyone gets upset. So, um, so, uh, but let's just assume that let's assume we have market leases in place. So that's great. You know, the common area, uh, making sure that that common area is in its best um, look and feel. Um, maybe a fresh coat of paint. Um, I don't know that anyone has carpet anymore, but if they if they did have carpet, I'd recommend that they remove it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, and Then landscaping, you know, make sure that the, the landscaping is taken care of. The exterior, if the if the building needs to be painted, just like you know, a house in some ways, you know, if the exterior of the building needs to be painted, if the roof is that it's, you know, I don't necessarily recommend re- replacing a roof um, of a building you're going to sell, but Definitely make sure that it's in good working order, you know, patch it, um, repair it. Uh, Definitely do not have a lot of deferred maintenance on the property, you know, just make sure that it's exactly. Um, And mm
1: -hmm. then what about the other piece of it, which is when would I consider selling? You know, what what, what would you say would be like a uh, indicator that, hey, this might be a time to sell either because of the market or because of your circumstances or when do you see practices selling?
0: So if you're just looking to, um, so, so if you're looking to sell, um, you know, just in general right now, cap rates, cap rates are pretty low and they, they stay pretty low on medical office for the most part, you know, provided that the, the lease terms are strong and the tenants are strong. Um, It's just, there's a lot of, Capital that has migrated over to medical office because of the thought that it is recession recession proof. Um, It's not recession proof. I mean, it's recession recession resilient. I mean, everyone gets affected when there's a recession, but it is the fact that it is um, a purpose driven property. I mean, there's reasons for these tenants to be in there um, during COVID even during covid um you know the physicians had to go in i mean it was essential business the physicians had to go in i mean there were some elective procedures that were paused for some time but they went back pretty quickly um in Arizona i think it was maybe 5 or 6 weeks um yeah and so there's a these these people cannot work out of their offices i mean they can't see or out of their homes patients right. can't go you know so so there's a reason for them to be there and these they have a mission critical demand driven um So, so that's one reason to do it now when somebody should cash out. So sale leasebacks are, are, are pretty popular with physician owned real estate. And that's because the value of the property is at its highest when you have the longest lease in it. So let's say 10 years. So if you're going to want to sell it, I would say, look and be, um, be Kind of aware of maybe your retirement age and maybe 10 12 years before then, maybe think about putting a 10 year lease on your property and then selling it to an investor. Um, because that's where you're going to get your highest and best use. If you wait until you retire and then you move out, then you're selling a vacant building, then right. You know, then it's on a price per square foot. And you know, if you bought it, of course, 30 years ago, you're going to make money on it. But the highest amount, the the highest value you you will receive is with a tenant in place. So either you have to move out and find a tenant or you do it about, you cash out about 10 years before you are about to retire. Now, practices with multiple providers, there are people out there that, you know, can put some structures in place where if people that are looking to retire can cash out and people that are young and coming into the practice can buy in. So, they right. can structure it that way where you don't actually have to sell the real estate. You just, um, you know, you can exchange ownership.
1: Yeah, yeah, cash out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, financing, you know, uh, have the young docs buy you out uh, right. on some kind of, you know, um, some kind of rolling uh, process, just like you might do for the practice uh, right. value. Um, now, it was interesting when you said there, like a 10 year might be the perfect time for those of you listening who, you know, kind of approaching retirement. Uh, or you see it out there, especially solo practices. Um, Now, you know, some clients may say, you know, they'd rather hold on to it and then try to find someone to take over the practice and then have a rental stream. And I have, you know, we had a doc uh, previous um, uh, on the podcast, uh, Dr. Yanoff last season, who talked about that. That's something that he did uh, as he exited. Um, But uh, at least it should be thought through. And it sounds like even 10 years out because you want to kind of make smart decisions and you say, listen, I don't want to be a landlord. I'd rather, you know, get out. And if the value, if the timing is good where there's, you know, an upcycle, um, then maybe it makes sense to sell and, and lease it back. And I guess you're saying there are investors out there who would buy the property and may actually value it more favorably um with knowing that your practice is going to be paying rent for 10 years in there.
0: Exactly. And I think, you know, once you decide that you're, you know, once you make that choice and um, so with physician owned real estate, sometimes there is still an emotional connection to the building. Some of these, um, practices and have built this, these buildings from the ground up, um, you know, they've, they've put their heart and soul into it and, and, you know, that's why they typically want to hang on to it for the income stream, but what you have to decide, you have to really kind of take your, the emotion out of it. And I, I don't mean to sound cold, but, you need to analyze it from a purely financial perspective and say, you know, the the benefit that I will receive on a monthly basis from this income stream versus this lump sum of capital and then go right. deploying that capital in other investment real estate where there's already tenants. And I don't have to, you know, um, I don't have and I don't have to you know, fill it. And, you know, then there's passive ways that you can invest in real estate and active ways that you can invest sure. in real estate and you can still get tax advantages and both. And so from there, you just have to decide, you know, how, how involved hands-on do I want to be? And, you know, what can I do with this lump sum of capital? Cause maybe you go in, in and diversify into two different kind of rental um, properties instead of one. You yep. never know,
1: or even diversify in other asset classes, like using exactly. a firm like ours. You know, you kind of balance out their portfolio. Say, listen, let's have some things that are uh, that are more balanced, especially if they don't they're not balanced already. That would be something we right. recommend. So, yeah, um, excellent. Uh, so let's just uh, sort of last uh, thing. What's like one kind of takeaway or one piece, one um, uh, uh, sort of broad idea you would give docs listening to this about real estate in their in their practice.
0: Yeah. So, you know, with, with medical office, real estate, the value of the real estate is really the tenants in there. So, you know, as a, as a tenant or as an owner um, you know, the value is, is you as a tenant in the building, if you own it, or um, you know, if you're a tenant in a landlord's building, it's the tenants that, that make the value of that building. So I guess when you're negotiating a lease or, or looking to buy or sell a property, just think about that, that yeah. you know, you are the value of the property. A medical office building built out in the middle of nowhere is a value of zero because nobody will occupy space there, versus, you know, a medical property that is built with a with a, you know, serving a community or in a lot, a lot of medical buildings are built um, with pre-leasing. So they already, you know, they have to have a certain amount of pre-leasing before they'll actually um, start going vertical. And it's because the value of a medical building is the tenants that are in it.
1: Yeah, that's a good thing to remember for those of you who don't own, who you are lessees, that you have some uh, negotiation power because the value is in what your your lease and you continue mm-hmm. to pay. So mm-hmm. uh, that's a great point, um, Tricia. Thank you so much for being on. This was great. I learned a lot, and I know a lot of my uh, our, our clients and, and and docs out there listening. You know, this is something that. Uh, we get asked about and questions. So thanks again for being on.
0: You're welcome. Hopefully I didn't get too in the weeds. And if so, someone can just ping me.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. Well, we're going to have your bio in there in the LinkedIn. So if people have questions and, you know, there may be people who are in a decision place right now and could use your help, uh, I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, and, uh, you know, docs like I do, a lot of them want to get in the weeds uh, more than, yeah. sometimes they should actually. Okay. So uh, that's fine. But thanks again for being on. And- Yeah, Thanks for all you folks out there listening. Uh, Again, we'll have another episode in a couple weeks. And if you are a physician and you think you have some interesting uh, uh, story to tell or some insights or something that uh, you think your colleagues would uh, appreciate hearing, uh, feel free to contact me. uh, To contact me, I'm always looking for new guests and uh, would love to hear from you. So, with that, thank you very much and look for our next episode in a couple weeks.
0: I'm grateful for you tuning in to the Providers, Properties, and Performance Podcast. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe, rate, review, and share the podcast with others. As a disclaimer, this podcast is intended for educational and entertainment purposes only and not intended for specific real estate investment advice.